there is so much fantasy attached to a number, whether the number is high, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm unattractive, I failed, I have to work much harder, or to the low end of your weight, which is, you know, now I'm beautiful and wonderful, sex is going to be amazing, I'm going to attract all anybody that I want in the world, my life is going to be radical. And I think both of those extremes are not true. I don't believe, I believe that those kinds of extremes, it's a very binary way of looking at the world. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with energy and joy. Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits. Well, as always, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right beside me. So let's begin. Many of you know that uh, my day job is being a psychotherapist with a specialty in food and body issues, and I'm always interested in people's relationships with their bodies and how they try to make peace with its imperfections, especially as we age. And even famous models find something they don't like about their body. So this has always been a very interesting subject to me. Well, one day I was scrolling along on Facebook and I saw a post from a woman who was celebrating her book's 10 year anniversary. The book was called Ravenous and I was intrigued. It was definitely not a diet book and it was unique in that the author wanted to find out more about the foods that she felt controlled by. She didn't restrict them or shame herself for eating them. There was a curiosity about eating and the foods and a desire to be non-judgmental even if she ate a whole bag of chips. Food and eating are issues that affect many zestful agers, so I'm so excited to have the author of Ravenous, Dana Macy, on the show today. Welcome to the show, Dana. Thank you so much, Nicole. I'm delighted to be here. I am so excited to talk to you, and it was so serendipitous because love it or hate it, you know, Facebook <laughs> <it> sometimes <laughs> offers me some some great way to great ways to meet guests and 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 see what's being uh, put out there, published, and I was so excited to see your post on your 10 year anniversary of this very different kind of book. It's not a diet book. And in fact, what really intrigued me is 
instead of restricting foods that were kind of giving you trouble, you moved closer to them it, it, literally by investigating how they're made, how they're farmed, how they're processed. And you sort of threw yourself into learning all you could about the foods like chocolate. Yes. Um, I, I have always been a food lover. In fact, the uh, subtitle of the book is uh, Food Lover's Journey from Obsession to Freedom. And I'm a journalist as well. And I like speaking to people and I have a million questions. My entire life has been an inquiry. That's the way that I'm made. Uh, the big questions, why am I here? What is my purpose? And one of the questions that was up for me and live for me for decades and decades, probably since, well, at least since I was 13, I would say perhaps even younger, is how can I live comfortably in my body? And it was always an elusive journey because the information that was coming to me from all different sources was always telling me that my body was not good enough. And that made me upset and angry. And it kicked in uh, my rebellious uh, nature. And I went decades along and, and, and t my weight was, you know, was, it was okay. It was relatively steady and so on. But as I started hitting my I was always what you would call, I guess the Yiddish word is zaftig. But I, I was, was always just <laughs> thinking zaftig, yeah? I was always curvy. Mm -hmm. And I wish as a younger woman, when I look at pictures of myself now, I look back and I think, my God, you were so beautiful. You mm -hmm. did not know it. Mm -hmm. And And time went on and life went on and I got married and I got pregnant and I had twin boys who are now 21. And every decade, it, my weight kept increasing mm -hmm. until I reached a point where I was seriously uncomfortable in my body. It was hard to move through the world. I'm a longtime yoga practitioner. My yoga practice was getting more and more difficult. And I knew something had to change. And while I respect people who choose to go on programs like Weight Watchers or Overeaters Anonymous, that is not my journey. My path is to set out, speak to the people who could provide me with answers about the foods I love, what made them so intoxicating, what made them so amazing, and see if I could find a path to freedom from appreciation, not from denial. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, I, that's just such a radical statement. Mm. Uh, it's such a beautiful statement, but... Had you tried diets before, um, sort of more of the, you, you mentioned Weight Watchers and OA, or had you, had you never um, 
never thought that that would work for you because of your your personality <laughs> my person my <laughs> difficult personality <laughs> um i tried a few um mm -hmm. and uh weight watchers for example many many moons ago and i did lose weight but guess what i gained it back mm -hmm. and it that has nothing to do necessarily with weight watchers or what they're offering it has to do with my own internal mechanism of what it means to be on a diet. And even saying those words makes my skin crawl. The nature of going on a diet is that it's temporary. You go mm. on a diet, which means you go off a diet. Mm, yeah. I wasn't interested in going on anything and then falling off of anything. I wanted to find a way to eat that would bring me to a more healthful place in my life so that I could live with greater joy. The body, I believe, and this is this comes from my experience as a longtime yoga practitioner and writer about yoga. I was at Yoga Journal for almost 20 years, uh, uh, writing about yoga and uh, somatic practices. Yoga has been um, an incredible tool to get in touch with the workings of the body, the inner workings of the body, starting to create a relationship with the body that you're in to find out who you are as an embodied person in this world. So this is a way of starting somatic practices, which is something that I talk about in the book, is a way in to igniting a passionate inquiry into how you use your body, how you move your body, how you move through the world. And that begins to create a much more intimate relationship with your body, not the body that you imagine in your mind, not the body that you think you want to have, but the body that you are in. And it be, you can begin then to dialogue much more directly with your body about what she needs, what she wants, what she hopes for, what she's afraid of, what she's frightened of, what she loves, what she takes joy in, and, uh, and honoring all of that. So you're talking about an inner wisdom, which is very different than saying, uh, when can I eat? How many points should I eat? Tell me what to do. You're going inward. I am because, and again, this may not apply to everybody, but I believe that dealing with weight and body image issues, it's an, it's an inside job. It does not work from the outside in. There are a lot of industries that would have us believe that that is true because there are lots of products to sell. Mm -hmm. And a lot of unhappy people. Many unhappy people. I believe that we have many of the tools already inside us to begin our journey. We may just need some guides along the way to help introduce us to them and help us take the first few steps. And one bit of wisdom that I can certainly share is that this body wisdom comes from some form of attention practice 
and somatic practice, whether it is meditation or yoga or qigong. There are a million different practices out, out there. You need to become intimate with how your body works in the world and what she needs. And then you begin your journey. And one thing I learned on this journey is that anytime I got uh, some uh, a wisdom input from someone I interviewed or one of those aha moments that come from going on a deep journey is that you can change the vector of your trajectory by 1%. And if you change the vector 1%, you will end up in a very different place than had you not changed that vector at all. Any awareness, any kind of awareness and kindness and nurturance to the direction of greater health feeds upon itself, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. and it begins the process of leading you into greater health regardless of your size. There are people I know who are wonderfully healthy at 200 pounds. Mm -hmm. That was not me. But there are people, so I don't, I don't focus on weight as a number ever, except, except that I know that I have a range within which my body feels healthiest. I have a low part of the range. I have a high part of the range. I never step on the scale unless I'm beginning to intuit that things are going in a direction that I don't want them to continue. I will step on the scale, I will get that bit of feedback, and I will take it from there. Now, what happens when I step on the scale is also important. It is very common for people to tell themselves all sorts of stories about their weight. There is so much fantasy attached to a number, whether the number is high I'm I'm worthless. I'm unattractive. Um, I failed. I failed. I have to work much harder. Or to the low end of your weight, which is, you know, now I'm beautiful and wonderful. Sex is going to be amazing. I'm going to attract all anybody that I want in the world, my life is going to be radical. And I think both of those extremes are not true. I don't believe, I believe that those kinds of extremes, it's a very binary way of looking at the world. And that's media driven, because it's expedient for media. It's either or mm-hmm. black and white. It makes it easier to sell you something. If you're white, you want black. If you're black, you want white. You will always be lacking. And I am here to say you are not lacking anything, nothing. You are whole as you are right now. Find the guides and the guidance that can bring you deeper into that truth on your own journey. Mm-hmm. So such a different way of figuring this out. And it occurs to me um, as you're speaking now, Dana, and when I think about your book, that your um, orientation, your perspective is so informed by your yoga. Mm Mm-hmm. 
that it, do you think it's fair to say that you would have done this very differently or maybe not at all had you not been practicing yoga for 20 years and had you not had practice with self-awareness and self-inquiry that is such a wonderful question nicole and I, thank you for asking me that no one's actually ever asked me asked me that question in that way and the answer is yes I uh, come from a New York sort of intellectual background where the brain, the mind was everything. Mm -hmm. It's what got you through the world. It's what protected you uh, from other people. It's what made you get ahead. It's what helped you compete. The mind was always the supreme commander. And I had this kind of intuition and the mind is very useful. The mind is an excellent captain. You know, mm -hmm. she 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 will steer you uh, mm -hmm. often where you need to be steered. But she is not the only voice at the table. And as I grew older, into my twenties and into my early thirties, first of all, there were all sorts of body changes start happening, and I had I I had the intuition that oh hey yoga that's going to be cool. Now this was in the early mid 90s before yoga became huge in this country and i stumbled into a yoga class uh from a senior iyengar teacher and it it kicked my butt i could not believe that that's what people called yoga <laughs> i couldn't believe how sore i was but there was something about the process that deeply spoke to me and intrigued me and i kept going back and the study of yoga Yoga literally means to yoke. It means to yoke the body and the mind and the spirit. It brings all three things together. And for me, successful weight loss and keeping it off to a degree that I'm comfortable in, and I just, this is a podcast, so people can't see me. If I were to stand in front of you, if I were to stand in front of a 100 people, 50 people might say she's beautiful. You know, what a beautiful body. 50 people might say, wow, a little zoftic still. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't care. What really matters is how I feel moving through the world. And I know that there's a certain range. And it is yoga, absolutely, that helped me get into that range. When I went outside of it. I ignored it. I ignored the signals. I still went on with my practice as if nothing was going on. But then poses were becoming off limits to me. I couldn't do handstand anymore. Uh, balance poses where you have to balance on arm, on your arms and hold your weight up. It became literally impossible. And I became very sad. And I became, um, it was difficult to move through the world. Just I, I found myself strangely sort of knocking into things. And it wasn't that I was so grossly overweight, although mm -hmm. I was definitely overweight. And by the way, tipping into pre-diabetes territory as well, mm -hmm. which, which really was a bit of information that I needed to start to pull things back. And I knew that there was a way to move through the world with peace and grace and I want to emphasize the word grace and also ease. That 
that was there for me to find and I had to find it. So one of the big parts of my journey was to find, to answer the question of what is enough. And what is enough, not only with respect to the food I eat. So there's, you know, I tell the story in the book of interviewing Ed Brown. He's um, a Zen monk. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote the Tassajara Bread Book. He's written a lot about food. He's a very interesting man. And strangely enough, <laughs> when I went to his home in a little beach town uh, on the coast of Northern, uh, Northern California coastal town, I, he, he asked me to get him something in the refrigerator. He was preparing f- uh, a lunch for us. And I went in and I saw a jar of olives, or should I say a jar of olive, because there was one olive in the jar, one. Mm-hmm. And I actually have an entire chapter on olives in the book. Um, olives are something that I can eat by the fistful. And I just looked at him and I said, <laughs> Ed, you have one olive in your refrigerator. Who does that? And he, and he looked at me and he said, someone who understands what enough is. And I'm paraphrasing because this is a mm-hmm. long time ago now. Mm-hmm. And so the question of what is enough in terms of food, in terms of quantity, in terms of your body as it is now, when am I good enough? At what point am I good enough? At what age am I good enough? There is a huge difference between acceptance of good enough versus giving up. They are not the same things. We have this bias in this culture and in many cultures, I would say all over the world, that in order to reach a certain point, you must work very, very hard. And we have inside of ourselves, and I would say, unless you're a bodhisattva, and I'm not sure how many bodhisattvas I've met in my life, Mm -hmm. but you will have a deeply entrenched habit of self-judgment. And I believe that it is essential to work on that as you are moving through this journey, because it is the judge that will sabotage your efforts. Can we, you know, that's a great point and I think so important for, for our audience to hear. I hear that again and again from my clients and my practice is this just self-judgment. Can we talk a little bit about what that actually looks like? And one, I think you said something in your book like, okay, I ate a a whole bag of, of chips. There it is. I ate it. And to, to separate out the judgment and really being more, you, you talk about spaciousness and inquiry. Can you take us through sort of a... Uh, the anatomy ex- of a binge? And yes. The example of, huh, you know, feeling a little bingy. Maybe didn't have enough lunch, but now there's, you know, a big bag of chocolates or now there's chips or I'm going shopping and everything looks good. And now I'm in the car on the way home and everything is kind of calling to me. Take me through how you have learned to approach this dilemma. 
you know, I wish you could see me because I have this giant smile on my face <laughs> because I think everybody can relate. Everybody can relate to this. So um, let's uh, let's start with the idea of spaciousness. There are there are a lot of tools at your disposal. I was just in the market the other day, and I I have a thing for salty crunchy. That's kind of where my binges when I have them, which is not that often, but where they lie. They lie mm. typically much more salty, crunchy instead of sweet, chewy or something like that. And I passed by my favorite brand of rice chips with my favorite flavoring, and I stood there <laughs> and I looked at them and I thought to myself, no, I'm not going to do that. And I moved on. Now, what I didn't say was, no, you can't have that. And I didn't say you're not allowed to, because frankly, nothing is off limits in terms of what I eat. There are things that are off limits other, other, in other aspects of my life. I quit smoking when I was a teenager. Cigarettes are forever off limits. There is an inviolable boundary and wall that, uh, that I needed to erect for my own health and well-being. Uh, and, and perhaps there might be certain foods for certain of your listeners. Who knows? It, it's an individual journey. But I have no foods that are off limits. So mm -hmm. I did not look at that and say, no, you can't bad do food. it. That's bad food. That's a bad food. Bad. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not a bad food. But I walked on, so I don't have it at home. Uh, and so now, if I'm getting a little munchy this or that, that's actually not there for me to to munch on. And, you know, is that willpower? I would have called it willpower, I guess, if I had come, come from a place of, no, you can't have it, and I won't have it. So there you go. I won. I'm not having it. That... Even saying these words to you, Nicole, makes my stomach feel tighter. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes my torso move inward, my chest sink a little bit. And this is where I talk, this is where yoga comes in. I am aware of the effect on my body that words and actions have. So I never said no. But now let's go back to the time when I didn't say no. And I said, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I did. And I ate probably all, it's probably those bag of rice chips, uh, you know, ones that I love, and uh, licked my fingers and all the salty this off of it. And I was like, well then, you know, and I dusted off my fingers and I said to myself, okay, I just ate that entire bag. And I probably even looked at the calories and it probably said something like 700 something calories. Mm -hmm. And I probably said, uh, I ate, you know, that. And I was like, okay, I ate the whole bag of chips. And I put one hand on my heart, one hand on my belly. And I took three long inhalations and exhalations. And by the way, that is a practice I can talk about a little bit later that will instantly bring you back to your body. And I said, okay, that is done. Keep calm, carry on. What I didn't do, what I didn't do was create a story out of the event. Which might have sounded like what back in the day? What would the story have sounded like? You, you know, how could you have done that? 
you know better, you know, bad. It's like you're talking to a naughty puppy or something mm, like that. Mm, um, mm. You know, I'm What's ugly. Wrong with I'm you? fat. What's wrong with me? How could I have done that? This is the judge. And she is not helpful. Mm-hmm. What is helpful in that situation is to take a deep breath and to keep calm and carry on and do the next best thing for your health, your body, and your life. Whatever that is. You don't, you don't stay stuck in stories. You move through them and it gives you breathing room to make the next good decision. And by the way, by the way, Nicole, sometimes you may be stuck in this cycle a lot. Sometimes, I mean, you know, this, this cycle goes around and around. I lived in this world. I'm, I come from uh, a milieu where looks were quite paramount. This is New York growing up in the seventies. Uh, my, my mother, uh, may she rest in peace, had been a model mm-hmm. and uh, a really beautiful woman, uh, who never really struggled with her weight. Uh, I am the younger sister of a beautiful woman who never really struggled with her weight. And I had all of these stories that I attached. These are different people from me. Uh, and maybe they thought things about me. Maybe they've even said things to me. I needed to move through a lot of that noise to reach a place where I could be the captain of my own ship body, mind, and spirit. When I would get into a rough place, I would, where I was feeling really down about myself, and this happens in very infrequently now, but I still sometimes do this. I take a picture of myself. I have a picture of myself at four months old, and I wish I could show your listeners that picture. I am just the most beautiful little girl. And I I look like I'm on the verge of cracking a joke, which I probably was if I knew how to talk at four Mm. months old. And she's filled, these eyes are filled with joy and love and light. You would never speak to a child like that and say, you are ugly. You are fat. You are bad. What is wrong with you? You wouldn't do that because that is so deeply unkind. And you are worth the kindness. You are worth the kindness. Yeah, you can feel bad about eating a whole bag of chips. You can feel like you have a stomach ache, maybe, or Mm -hmm. you know, you feel nauseous, maybe. Okay, that is the truth of what you're feeling. But it is not true that you are a bad, lazy, person that has something wrong with her. That is just not true. And is that the kind of self-talk that um, you would do after eating, uh, let's just say your bag of chips? Was that, were you coaching yourself and um, helping yourself not fall into that rut of, look what you've done, nobody's gonna find you attractive and all this stuff? Yes, yes. Earlier on in this journey, I would have to talk myself through a lot of different, uh, a lot of different um, places to reinforce the message that I have learned from other people, the message that I've learned on my journey. Reinforce it, reinforce it, reinforce it, mm-hmm. and you begin to 
embody it. And where I'm at now, I'm 60 years old, what I am looking for in the last third of my life is not to look a particular way. That may have been true 10 or 20 years ago. But today, it's to feel joy in my embodiment, which as you know, Nicole, can be harder as you get older Mm -hmm. because things change. Mm -hmm. Health, freedom, joy, ease. That's what I'm after. And I know that when my weight is within, let's say I give myself a various 10 pound range. When it's within this range, I'm basically, I'm good. I move through the world. My, um, uh, my, my knees don't hurt. Uh, my ankles don't hurt. My yoga practice is easier. When I'm not within that range, life gets harder. So my goals have changed. My goals are for health and ease and joy. And, and that's what I think is available for everybody. You may need helpers on the way. I certainly have had many helpers along the way, whether it's been my therapist uh, or a nutritionist or uh, an intuitive medicine counselor or massage therapy, uh, lots and lots and lots of yoga. My way in to this inquiry was a combination of necessity of body, mind, and spirit. It was just, it was not just an inquiry of mind. This concludes part one of my interview with Dana Macy. We c- we're going to pick up again next week, and I hope you'll uh, stay tuned then. And again, if you have any comments or questions, I'd love to hear from you at zestfulaging.com. Hi, everyone. I wanted to add some thoughts um, to my interview with Dana Macy. I've been thinking a lot about our conversation. It's such a profound subject, and I know that eating and food have real been real concerns for most women that I've spoken to in my practice most women I know and I think just in general there's always an awareness of diet food body and body image Um, and at midlife and and older it seems like it can go one of two ways and that is uh, women really feeling like they, they want to sort of keep their younger body or stop the aging process by perhaps dieting or over-exercising, or other women try to find paths to some kind of self-acceptance, and it's not always a clear path. Um, so I just wanted to to put some thoughts and questions out there uh, as I listened again to Dana's um, conversation. The first thing that came to mind was this idea of goals and goals for our own bodies, especially at middle age and beyond. Dana talked about her goals of having um, health, joy, and freedom. And even if we had a so-called swimsuit figure in the past, of course, there's certain biological changes that we just are never going to fight. We're never going to win that battle. So one of the questions I've been thinking about is, How much longer 
do you want to be at war with your body? And what is it costing you to to really hate your body, to be dissatisfied, and to uh, have a negative orientation towards your body, especially your aging body. Dana talked about um, being younger, and uh, she said that she was told that her body was wrong. And it led me to, to wonder about in what ways uh, do you, might you feel that your body is wrong? Uh, would it have been right at another time in history where people perhaps were painting much more round and full and curvy women? And then what are the stories and fantasies you're telling yourself when you step on the scale? And are they true? And would you be willing to examine them? And this is something that Dana really emphasized in terms of self-inquiry. And I think it's easy to be, um, to ignore some of those fantasies, some of those beliefs, because we're distracted in a million ways. And it's not always the most pleasant thing to uh, dig around and, you know, how am I feeling about my weight gain or my body changing? It can be difficult and fraught. And so, um, you know, I just think about how easy it is to kind of put that aside and ignore some of that self-inquiry. The other thing that uh, I, I was struck with is this concept of having to be rebellious. Dana talked about that she's a rebel, and so some of this kind of came naturally to her. But I wondered if it's necessary to be rebellious in order to fight back against commercial interests that keep us dissatisfied. That's their whole game, right? Because the party line is that there's always something to fix, and they have just the right thing to sell to us to make us feel more acceptable, more lovable, um, and um, that's how stuff gets sold. So how radical do we have to be? Is being an educated consumer enough? Or do we have to push back on capitalism altogether? What are the pros and cons of fighting the system? Because if you're fighting the system about uh, advertising in our bodies, and that was, if you want to uh, listen to Jean Kilborn, she's the academic um, way back, I think it was three years ago I interviewed her, she's the first one who came up with this idea of advertising and using women, objectifying women, and that leading clearly to eating disorders. So what does that mean for us? How rebellious do we have to be? Do we have to be constantly vigilant about um, if there's an agenda? Is there a, a commercial interest here? Well, that's something that came to mind. Uh, Dana described the difference between going outside and going inside for wisdom. And it makes me ask myself, who knows more about my body than me? Uh, the latest diet guru may be trying to convince me that they know all about how I should act, exercise, eat, think about my body. But when did we start giving up our power to so-called diet gurus? Many of them are men. Now that's that's a question that's uh, been kind of rolling around my mind. And if their wisdom is so sound, how come there are so many different 
diet trends that are constantly coming up. And that's why I think a lot of people feel so frustrated and confused. You know, first it's no fat, then it's no, you know, carbs, and then it's high fat, high carbs, and we're just constantly spinning. So when we think about our bodies now, and we look at the fantasies um, and kind of get clear on accepting the bodies we have now, how do we develop a respectful and intimate relationship with the bodies that we actually have, the ones that are aging, that gravity has done their work on, the ones that have cellulite, the ones that have spider veins. Um, as a tennis player, this is always kind of a funny thing for me because of course you know that we're wearing short skirts and stuff is out there for everyone to see. You know, how do we make peace with that? There's a lot of really smooth-legged young women uh, coming into play tennis tennis and if you're over 50 you're probably not one of those unless you're devoting a lot of time um, so um, that's that's a really big question and Dana talks about asking our bodies what they truly want um, how do we how do we become joyful what is our body uh, do best with in terms of food, exercise, sleep, all of this. How does our body really work? And what does she need? And that it's an inside job and that we have the tools inside us already. And that's what I was thinking when I said, you know, we are the experts on ourselves. So some of the other questions I I was thinking about from this first part of the interview is what is enough? And when am I good enough? And this led me to think about some other things. And that is, when do I have enough really cool thrifted garden stuff? When do I have enough gorgeous yarn? When do I have enough dogs? I'm about ready to adopt another dog. At what stage is it enough? And are we just sort of finished filling ourselves? Um, that was something that really struck me. She wanted to make the differentiation between acceptance and, and giving up, and that accepting our bodies is not giving up. It's accepting what is, and as some meditators might say, not arguing with reality. And what would life be like if we felt a deep satisfaction and a deep peace and calm about who we were, what our bodies look like, and and how we move through the world, even if we wanted to lose weight, what if we didn't binge? What if we ate really in general very healthfully and did not lose weight? What would that mean for us? I love the way Dana concludes this section, and she said it in such a passionate way. She said, you are worth the kindness. And I just thought that really summed up this whole, um, this whole question of how do I go through life with an imperfect body, and one that's becoming more imperfect every day. Uh, she left us with a beautiful practice that when we're all spinning and upset, or maybe we ate 
whatever it is, the box of Oreos or the bag of, in her, in her case, she apparently likes these really, <laughs> these rice crackers. What do you do then? Um, Janine Roth has a beautiful CD on, you know, after the binge. Okay, you've binged. Now what? Uh, she talks about having three long breaths with her hand on her heart saying, keep calm, carry on. Uh, what's the next best thing I can do for my health, body, and life? What a beautiful thing to hold on to. So um, I'm going to hold on to that, and I hope you do as well. I suspect there's going to be um, some thoughts and um, perhaps feedback about this first episode. You know where to reach me, zestfulaging.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts and uh and i'm looking forward to sharing part two with you thank you so much for joining us on zestful aging if you like the podcast please share it with some of your friends i love to hear from my listeners send me an email at nicolechristina.com it's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelm feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long exploratory you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. <music>